Welcome to Launchpad, the unique radio show and podcast that celebrates new book releases and the authors that created them. Now, let's take off with your host, Grace Salmon. This is Launchpad. I'm Grace Salmon, and along with my partner in crime, Mary Helen Sheriff, the author, marketing coach, welcome to episode 29. From outer journeys to inner ones, this episode of Launchpad has us traveling the globe, thinking about points of view, wondering about fortune tellers, and bonds with nature, family, and blood. I'm so excited to have Celine Keating, Elaine Clayson, Lally, Lally Pia, and Judy Reeves with me today. Welcome, ladies, and welcome everybody who's watching us on Facebook today. I'm so happy to have everybody. If you are watching us live, please feel free to leave a comment, let us know what's going on, ask a question, and then we'll be on Authors on the Air Global Radio Network as well. So I'd like to start out by just introducing the authors with Celine Keating and her book, The Stark Beauty of Last Things, Elaine Klassen with The Earthquake Child, Lally Pia with The Fortune Teller's Prophecy, and last but not least, Judy Reeves, When Your Heart Says Go. There's some wonderful subtitles along with each of those. Let's start out with Celine. Tell us about your wonderful new book. Thank you, Grace. I appreciate being included today with these wonderful other authors. Uh, I'll show my book, which is The Stark Beauty of Last Things. Um, my novel is set in the coastal town of Montauk, which is on Long Island. And it's something of a love song to Montauk, or that's how it began. And it turned into a little bit of an elegy for Montauk with uh, some of the changes happening to Montauk and other places around the world that are similar coastal areas. And it centers on four characters, all interconnected, uh, who are feeling the effects of the threats that the town is feeling from overdevelopment and climate change. One of them is Julian, who's a landscape artist and a motel owner. Another is Molly, who with her boyfriend, who's a fisherman, are, are facing pressure to sell their home. Another is a bartender who lives in a trailer park, whose beach is disappearing because of, as I said, sea level rise. And then the fourth character is a male who's an outsider, and he gets an unexpected legacy that gives him the power to decide what happens with the last parcel of undeveloped land in this very wild and um, beautiful area. So that's the premise. And um, that's about all I need to say about it at this point, I think. Well, I'm so glad you wrote about Montauk as a native Long Islander um, who, grew much, who grew up much more into the city portion, but just treasure that far out points of uh, land on Long Island. So I'm eager to hear more about it. Elaine Clayson with her book, The Earthquake Child. Tell us. Hi, Grace. And hello, everybody. It's so nice to be here with other women writers. Um, at age 72, I published my debut novel, Love is a Rebellious Bird. And uh, it was a great debut. It won the, uh, was finalist for the National Jewish Book Award. And uh, to my great surprise, a, a lot of people read it and liked it. And it was about why we love the people we love. And I found then that the subject that was very compelling to me was our children. And that's why I wrote The Earthquake Child. And um, the reason that I wrote 
the earthquake child is that I was very interested in the subject of nature versus nurture. Um, I myself have adopted children and biological children. And uh, all of us question why are our children so unique? What makes one of them like men mayonnaise and the others hate mayonnaise? But um, I found very unique challenges with adopted children. And I wrote a novel about one adopted boy. The writer A.M. Holmes made a great quote, and she said, to be adopted is to be amputated and sewn back together. Whether or not you regain full function, there will always be scar tissue. So in The Earthquake Child, we meet a family who is plagued with infertility and make the decision to adopt. And they, uh, uh, they adopt a child immediately after that child is born. We also meet the birth mother, and uh, she is a young woman who has completely run out of options and decides to place her, her newborn child with a family. And finally, we meet Joshua, the adopted boy, and he's a troubled young man when we meet him. And uh, we learn a little bit about why and how he is struggling with his identity. He's been raised in a family, a loving family, who observes many Jewish rituals and many, many family rituals. And yet Joshua cannot find his own self. And he gets into trouble. So my question was, is it nature? Is it nurture? Or is it the very fact of adoption? And many adult adoptees have said that what people don't understand is that in order to be adopted, they had to lose their original family. So uh, I hope this book provides opportunity for people to look at their own families and what makes a family and what makes our children who they are. Fascinating. Well, we'll, we'll talk more about that um, as we move on. Lally Pia, with your book, fascinating title, The Fortune Teller's Prophecy, A Memoir of an Unlikely Doctor. Yeah, hello everyone. Thank you for letting me be on here. Um, so I've won a, a publishing deal for this book. Um, it's um, The Fortune Teller's Prophecy, A Memoir of an Unlikely Doctor. Um, so to give you a, an idea what it's about, um, Eat, Pray, Love, meet Jeffrey Dahmer, <laughs> this um, riveting tale, which begins in Sri Lanka, where I grew up, um, then moves to Ghana. Sorry, um, Sri Lanka, where I was born, then moves to um, Ghana, where I grew up, then to Wales and England, en route to California, where I live now. Um, when I was six months old, a Sri Lankan fortune teller told my dad that I would one day become a doctor of doctors. So my family was ecstatic when I made it into medical school in Ghana. That was the prophecy, right? Um, but halfway through med school, my family headed to California and I was stuck in Ghana when a political coup erupted. This means there was chaos, disruption, and all the medical schools closed down. So I didn't know what to do. I went to the US embassy to pick up my green card so I could join the family. But then I learned that they had bungled my green card. So. I was stuck in Ghana with no med school, no green card, nowhere to stay in Ghana, no income, no way to work. I was essentially a refugee. So um, let's fast forward 10 years. I'm now made it to California, but that prophecy seems like a huge joke. Um, I'm no doctor. I'm 32 years old. I have two children and I'm on welfare, um, a single mom. And I was also working a very dead-end job. 
Did I say dead end? I was actually working at the UC Davis Donated Body Program. <laughs> um, and so every morning I'd have to open up two coolers and see who died. I was working alone in a basement and um, I had to embalm bodies, take off human heads and other body parts. And I'm thinking, what was that fortune teller smoking? <laughs> so to learn more, you'll have to read my memoir. Thank you. <laughs> Well, you're certainly intriguing, um, Judy Reeves, um, from dead bodies to traveling around the world. Judy's book is When Your Heart Says Go, My Year of Traveling Beyond Loss and Loneliness. Judy, tell us about your book. Thank you so much, Grayson. I'm delighted to be here. And loudly, <laughs> I'm sorry that you just, I'm going to have to... Okay, bring myself. <laughs> me laugh so hard. <laughs> so, when your heart says go, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just taking a breath there for a moment. So, the question that I ask is, what kind of mad longing would lead a woman nearing fifty and grieving the death of her husband to sell everything, buy a around-the-world airline ticket, suitcase, and go off without a plan or and that's what When Your Heart Says Go is about. I did that, sold everything. I don't know. Um, the idea to go just came as I was sitting on my balcony one day. It said, now when your heart says go, which is something that my husband had said to me at one time uh, on our first date, actually. And so I did. And I traveled for seven months. It was set in 1990, 1991. I traveled 11 European countries. I traveled what was then the Soviet Union and finally India, just in the lead up to the war, which, the first Gulf War, which in fact happened while, while I was in India, which sent me home earlier than my year long. And that outside that travel log or travel noir part of the memoir holds the, is the container for the inside story, which is my search for now, who am I? You know, I'm, I'm Judy Reeves and I, um, and I didn't have an identity. And so it was those months of solitude, journal writing, exploration, meeting people, going places, making decisions that helped me emerge as a more independent, single, sober woman dealing with the world. And also finding my way to live that dream of being a writer that I always wanted to be. What amazing journeys each of you have had. We do have people joining us on Facebook. So again, welcome to each of you. Um, Elaine, someone has read your book and absolutely loved it. So thank you particularly for that. We've got people joining us from uh, Pennsylvania where it's very cold for those of you who are not yet in a cold place. Um, Judy, both you and Elaine, um, mentioned you had a question when you were writing your book you the that was the thing elaine's question was about um adoption nature nurture yours was um about what do you do uh lally and celine do you did you have a burning question that made you want to write your books celine let's start with you i did um and it's an odd question i when i was living in montauk my husband i should back up and say the way I discovered Montauk was from a camping trip with the man who had become my husband. It was our first time away and I fell in love with the place. Later, we were able to buy a little co-op that became a weekend place and where I would go to write. And 
I was so captivated by the area and took long walks and loved being in the beach and the and the woods, et cetera. And I kept thinking, why is this so important? Like, what is it that is so upsetting to see landscape disappear or development come in? Like, why is this so crucial? And it made me think a lot about the importance of nature to the human being. What does it give us? Um, the sense of perhaps spirituality, a deeper connection. And also um, what happens when landscape changes, what impacts on people and, and what is, what, how do you balance the human needs for say affordable housing with the need for these, un, you know, these protected landscapes? So it was sort of philosophical questions I was asking myself and I used the book as a way to explore that. And I kind of set up a problem for the main character um, to decide what to do with this land. I didn't know how he would resolve it. And I sort of set that up and then I was trapped because I didn't have an answer, but I, I wanted to finish the book. So I sort of wrote myself uh, into the answer near the end. Um, so that, think, that was an unusual, but that was my question. I think many of us uh, as writers wrestle with things and they turn into books. Lally, did you have a burning question that you were trying to answer? Why did you feel it was important for you to write your memoir? Well, I didn't have a burning question. In fact, I didn't even want to write a memoir, but everyone kept saying, you've got to put this down, you've got to put this down. And then as I started writing, I think it just occurred to me just how many people give up or just think, oh, I'll never get out of this mess. And I really thought it would be helpful to give them hope. Hope, in fact, that's what my book is, you know, don't give up. And so that's become the sort of burning message, not the question, but the message I want to give people who read it. Thank you. Elaine Klassen, tell me, did you answer the question, Nature Nurture? Does it get answered? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's the joy of fiction is that we don't have to answer questions, but we I, I think as novelists, we're, we're required to explore questions. And I am always asked about adoption. And I always say, I can't give anyone else advice. All I can do is tell a story. And if I've succeeded in telling a story that people want to read and turn the pages of, then, then I've succeeded as a novelist. Um, but I, I certainly have lots and lots further questions about nature and nurture, and even further questions that science is presenting in epigenetics. And, and there's a lot to explore in why our children are the way they are. Well, it'll be interesting to read about it within your book as well. Judy, someone has read your memoir and said it is brilliant, moving, touching, brave, and real. What an absolutely beautiful comment. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. And I, I think the brave part comes through in each of your stories. But let's start with brave with you, Judy. Sold everything, left for around the world. My heart may have said go, but my feet would have said stay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, when I was traveling, I, I met a woman uh, in, um, in Hungary, Katimati. <clears throat> Excuse me. And she said to me, Judy, why did you leave? Couldn't you stay at home and figure all this out? And um, I, I've been a traveler, and so going off like that was not so scary to me. Um, what was scary was going inside. And I think uh, I needed that time of solitude and loneliness that I couldn't find at home. And that's where, you know, Roki tells us that you have to be able to stand the solitude. And 
and and staying with yourself. And that was the, the brave part for me, not necessarily taking off and going. That was kind of scary wow. too so when I stopped to think about it though, <laughs> especially in retrospect, right? <laughs> Oh, I think there's an element in bravery in any in each of your works. Celine, um, you you wrote about a place you love. You take some political stances in your book. Uh, did you have to be brave to do that? Um, not brave in the same kind of way that Judy was just mentioning. I think um, maybe in trying to do what Lally's saying. Um, try to provide hope, even as I'm describing a fairly deep sense of despair at what's happening in the world. Uh, but I, it was, I didn't take really strong political stances. I didn't really make up my own mind what I quite thought. So I was, because I think it's very important as a novelist to be exploring rather than didactic. So I didn't want to be prescriptive. Um, I probably come down on one side more than another. But I wanted to provide, I really wanted to show what the impact of all these social forces and conditions are on the human person. Like, what does it feel like to be the person who's losing their home? That, you know, that it's not an abstract or philosophical issue. It's, these are, these are very personal when it gets down to the individual level and the community level. You, you very clearly talk about points of view throughout your, your book. And as to you, Elaine, how did you, Elaine, um, decide on various points of view as a way to write your book? I feel that every adoption is a triangle. There's the adoptive family, and there is the uh, birth mother, and there is the adoptee. And I felt as much as possible, I wanted to get into the heads of all three and present this story of one adopted child. Um, I have an adopted child, but I did not, in fact, know much about the birth mother. So uh, this was based on a lot of uh, experiences I'd had in adoptive support groups and with other adoptees and other parents of adopted kids. Uh, so I hope that I respectfully given the point of view of, of all three of the protagonists. Um, thank you. And Judy, in your book, you uh, really talked a little bit about uh, women's place in the world. And uh, would you talk more about that? Because that's also a point of view, isn't it? It is a point of view. And it's a point of view that we are taught as young girls, take typing, you'll have something to fall back on or whatever message, you know, uh, that you that we get from our from our parents and our mothers and the culture around us. And so to be able to claim our own place in the world, I think once again, you have to ask yourself those questions. What is it that I want? What do I need? Um, and and then being able to say it out loud, this is who I, you know, I'm Judy Reeves and I, and I always had to have a tag that went with this. I'm Judy Reeves and I work in PR. I'm Judy Reeves and I work in the newspaper. If I say I'm Judy Reeves, is that gonna be enough? And what's really exciting to me right now, Grace, and, 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 and to so many women, is what is called, uh, what I, I hear referred to as the third chapter, and that is women of, of a certain age, <laughs> to use that term. Um, you know, the children have grown, maybe they're gone. Um, we have worked all of these years, and now what? And we have so many choices, and so many options are open to us. It's a really exciting time to take our place. 
Oh, I'm so glad you put it that way. That's a theme near and dear to my heart. And um, I write about that in my novel. Uh, I, I never would have thought that my late 60s and now 70 would be uh, a time where I would have said it was an exciting time. So I'm very glad that you put it that way. Um, Lally, we talked a little bit about bravery. We've talked about points of view. We've talked about a little bit about politics, being involved in it, whether we wanted or not. Your book covers all of those things. So tell us a little bit more about the fortune teller's prophecy. And how did you get to be brave enough to fulfill that dream, even though we have to read your book to find out? <laughs> yeah. So basically, because my father heard this from the Sri Lankan fortune teller when I was a baby, when I was a few months old, it was told to me over and over in such detail as I was growing up. You're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a doctor. Like, um, I didn't want to be a doctor. I actually wanted to be a writer. But anyway, um, so when I got into med school and it and it, and um, everyone thought it was going to happen, the whole thing I discussed, the coup and everything else, made me think I really didn't believe that fortune teller anyway. Um, so, so, so then I, um, I came to America, had a bad, you know, had a bad husband, uh, got away from that. And really I was working this donated body program and, you know, on welfare and thinking, how could, how could this fortune teller have, have, have made such a big mistake? I was 32 years old. And that's when, you know, from working with the donated body program, with working with dead bodies, I actually started seeing medical students again and, um, and through, you know, it's such a long, tortuous story. But basically, it really, the message is not really about fortune tellers. It's about, you know, once you have this idea and this hope, you can bust every single thing to get, get in the way of that. So anyway, um, I, I did make it through med school. I'm, I'm a child and an adolescent psychiatrist right now. And so I'm fascinated by nature and nurture, you know, because I really think that sometimes the kids are so troubled and yet you can help them with nurture. So I, I really look on children as this this light because no matter how badly you know trouble they are, there is hope for them at the end, and I try and present that in every kid I meet. So it was a long, but you'll have to read the story because <laughs> ultimately, if you go through all these obstacles, it's like bring it on, world! I can handle it, and that's what I'm hoping people will get from this. Oh, I hope we all can. Um, and so let's switch around a little bit to what it means. Uh, several of you have said you wanted to become a writer. Several of you have other books. Elaine shared uh, those as well. Let's talk and we'll start with Elaine. Your journey to be a writer and how has it changed you? Oh, it's really my lifelong dream. And um, I have to pinch myself that when I see these books between covers, it's it's just unbelievably thrilling to me. Uh, I I loved to write, but didn't have the courage. And I think Judy alluded to that. Uh, the 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 narrower paths available to women of our generation, uh, teacher or nurse, you know, that was kind of acceptable. Uh, and I had wonderful English uh, professors in university who asked me what kind of a writer did I want to be? And I said, oh my goodness, I could never be a writer. So it took a lot of courage to, in finally in my late forties to, uh, to realize that if not now, when, and uh, I took uh, creative writing classes at Stanford where I lived fairly close by and I got a, just enough encouragement to keep going, but I could have papered my room with uh, rejections and finally started, things started happening when I retired and was finished with a lot of other obligations and moved here to the beautiful Santa Inez Valley, which is very quiet and very contemplative mm -hmm. and, um, and just 
really things took off. And I, I feel extremely fortunate to be of this age and to have something that I'm passionate about. I think that's a real recipe for successful aging is to really care about something. I, I would agree with you entirely. Judy, your path to becoming a writer and how has it changed you? <laughs> um, I have always been a writer. And uh, I, when I was a kid, that's what I was going to do. Brenda Starr, girl reporter, that was me, right? <laughs> and so all my life, my career was as a writer, but I was a commercial writer, radio, television, newspapers, PR, advertising, and so on. Um, and it wasn't until, even though I was doing these other things on the side, I, and so that was the I'm Judy Reeves and I. And so then um, when I discovered Mm -mm. When I unleashed, when I let go, when I opened up to that writer who was traveling and her main uh, companion was her journal, that's when I think I really started having my own voice and saying what I wanted to say. And when I came back to uh, first San Francisco and then San Diego, uh, just like the message that came when your heart says go and I bought that around the world ticket, the message came, you're going to open a writing center. And so I did in San Diego, the writing center. I started it actually 30, 30 years ago um, this year and, um, and, uh, and, and just started having groups and bringing people together to be writers and taking classes and giving classes and leading journaling groups and all of that. And so how it has changed me, and I think that goes back to the independence and the uh, having agency, but being you know, sovereign, um, that this is who I am. It changed from this is who you want me to be to, yeah, but this is who I am. You know, Judy, I know that you're a real inspiration to writers in San Diego and uh, uh, you've really become a light from that very wonderful San Diego writers community. Oh, thank you, Elaine. Yeah, I have uh, four books about writing, about the writing craft, the writer's book of days, writing alone, writing together, wild women, wild voices, the writer's retreat kit. So I've done quite a lot of writing that persona of Judy Reeves writer <laughs> As, you know, and this is, so the memoir is, takes off from there too. That's Thank great. You. So Celine, building on that, tell us about your path to writing and how it's changed you. But also if you have any favorite craft books, um, I, I think we all need to know Judy's other craft books as well as part of this episode. So thank you. Thank you Celine. Man. Yeah, the, I, I have a very similar story to Elaine and Judy's. It's interesting how the overlap among us. Um, I wanted to be a writer from early childhood, but knew that it was what my parents said and others, you know, this is an impossible thing, get a practical career. Uh, I went into publishing, which I absolutely loved. So I spent my career in mostly editing, uh, book and um, magazine publishing, but I always wrote secretly. In fact, I warned my husband when I moved in with him that I had this secret thing I had to do by myself. And he was very alarmed and had no idea, like, what is this? And then I told him I was a writer. But I've, I, like you, I guess, suffered from the feeling of not good enough. So even though I started publishing stories fairly early, like my young, I mean, not that early, in my, in my early 30s, and I had a first novel come out about 15 years ago and a second novel about eight years ago. So I, it was a very, very, very slow build. And I would say how it's changed me is um, that I'm pre 
I'm probably phobic. I mean, I'm introverted to the point of almost phobia about standing and speaking in front of crowds, doing something like this today. Um, and I've had to have to work to overcome that because you do need to have a, a you know, a, um, a book tour. You need to be able to speak to people. You can't hide behind your computer all the time or your notepad. So that, you know, it's been transformative in that way that um, I was forced to confront some of those fears of inadequacy and, you know, imposter syndrome, all the rest that I think is so common with women. And um, I'm just glad it didn't take me longer because <laughs> I was going to run out of life before uh, I got around to this point. Oh, wonderful. Yes. Lally, last but not least on that same question, um, how, you know, how has the writing process changed you and the path to actually doing this? You talked already a little bit about. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I really wanted to write all my life, but because of being in school just about all my life, it was very hard to find the time to do that. So um, it was only pretty recently I just thought, you know, I really want to write and started going to you know places where people would read my book and say that's garbage and the importance of critique. Oh, my God. And now I understand why people say it's not writing. It's all about editing. So um, I had first started writing a book about it's a, a psychiatrist has an ethical um, dilemma. Should she say what she knows and lose her license, but a, an innocent man gets off? So I've, I'm really interested in fiction and that sort of writing. But now when I look back at it, I mean, I think the idea was great, but I really needed to, to fix it up. And so I got someone, a book coach, who helped me for about three months and that was transformative. And now that I am in this writing thing, it's, it's fun because I'm getting all these different people who are telling me you know, different things to do. And I'm seeing this whole explosion of this new and exciting world. So I'm just loving it. Um, I'm really loving it um, right now. So, so I'm, I'm thinking of writing more books too. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm so glad. This has been an amazing episode. I just want to thank each of you. Celine Keating with your book, The Stark Beauty of Last Things. Elaine Klassen, The Earthquake Child. Lally Pia with The Fortune Teller's Prophecy, a memoir of an unlikely doctor. And Judy Reeves, When Your Heart Says Go. My Year of Traveling Beyond Loss and Loneliness. It's been a real pleasure to have each of you on the show and those of you who are watching. This show is always an inspiration to me. Indeed, it launched three books of its own, which I am happy to have partnered on. We have Launchpad, The Countdown to Writing Your Book, Launchpad, The Countdown to Publishing Your Book, and Launchpad, The Countdown to Marketing Your Book, which I did with 40 other authors and that last book with the author marketing coach, Mary Helen Sheriff. Thanks for being with me today, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. This episode is copyrighted by Grace Salmon and Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Thank you for visiting with us on Launchpad. <laughs>